a pretty monumental week. A month, excuse me, March is specifically, uh, for our church. And I don't want it to just slip by and that's not to just pause long enough and take notice of it. We sent out 40, around around 40 different folks. I say right around that because I, I think they all came back and we sent them out and they came back, uh, around the world to, uh, South Asia, to, um uh, to West Africa and then to South Africa. And we commissioned them earlier on in March and we, they all went out, they all came back and have many God stories to, uh, to, to speak of. Randy right now, I got a text just before coming out here uh, that he is stuck in, uh, uh, in Jersey. There's worse places to be stuck. I can't think of them right now, but that's where he's at right now. And, uh, he'll be back tomorrow and the team is already back and I'm sure they've got stories and we're going to make sure they have a chance to, to share. But I I want all those continents, all those places, all those uh, uh, kind of mission efforts that we've been a part of to kind of be represented for a few moments, and you hear from them uh, directly. So I want Jim Binsky, who was on our South Africa team, come up here and join me on the stage, and I'm going to let him kind of speak over over what we've been about uh, in South Africa for the past uh, week. And then Jacqueline Williams just got back from West Africa, and uh, one of her, uh, I guess, thir- three trips that she's been on in her life in West Africa to speak to that. And then Lindsay, uh, she was uh, on our first. Team team that went uh, to South Asia. I'm going to let her come and kind of uh, share about that. So guys, uh, I, I know that uh, Jim, you're highly involved in our global adventures around the world and what we do through our prayer ministry, Watchmen on the Wall. If you want to be a part of that, you can see Jim about that. But this is, I guess, your first to go. It's not just pray for those who are going, right? Yeah, Kathy and I, this is, uh, yeah, this is our first trip. The first trip. Well, so tell us about what we were a part of and, and did. Well, uh, South Africa was a little different. Um, the, the missionaries kind of come out of the bush every couple of years and kind of regroup and retool and refresh and do all those rewords. And, mm-hmm. and we went there, and basically um, Mike and Lori worked with the adults, but we got to work with their families, right? So kids from age zero up through age 18, vacation Bible school for some, the youth, they worked with their unique set of problems that they have as uh, missionary kids. It's yeah. great. Great. Invested in a lot of time in, into them. Jacqueline, what were you a, pa- a part of in West Africa? So we went out into the bush and spent several days there. And we were just really, uh, this is a village that this is the second time we've uh, visited. And we just got to build relationships with people, new people, people that they had met the first time they went, as well as just share stories, share stories from the Bible, stories about Jesus. When you talk about the bush, you're talking about village life. You're talking yeah. about squatty potties uh-huh. and, yeah. and all those nice Eating creature out the same bowl. Yeah, all, the, yeah, all that kind of friends. stuff. Are you, are you kind of a city slicker or are no. you a bush person? Well, I am a city slicker, but I actually assimilated into the bush okay. quite nicely. All right, very good. Yeah, all right, very, very good. good. And Lindsay, what about what, what about been going on in, in, in South Asia and what were you a part of there? Yeah, this was my first global adventure. And back in October, I was part of a team that went to India. And um, this was a vision trip for Grace Point. So we got to serve in a lot of different capacities. Um, we got to work with women and children who were victims of the sex trafficking industry um, that were living in the red light district. Um, we got to actually teach children um, in the village school about Jesus and also share with the teachers as well there. Um, and we were also part of a church planting training um, out in the village that 
um, these were people that were in unreached and unengaged people groups. So really what you're hearing a lot of is we went and we did this. And, you know, these are not necessarily, they're not vacation trips at all. When you're eating out of a common bowl and things like that. They're not vacation trips, but you really get into the culture. And anytime we do one of these global ventures, we're always saying, okay, what is this about? What are we going to do? You all ask that same question if, if you're being talked to or considering going on one of those. What am I going to be asked to do? But I'm always... I'm never surprised. I'm always blessed by hearing not only what we do, that's, that's one thing, but what God does in us. And I think that's always that God working on multiple levels. And uh, so, Jim, I'm going to start with you. What was it that God did in your heart as you worked with all of these little MK missionary kids and so forth? Well, there's really two things that came out of it. One was we thought we were going there to teach kids, and we got as much out of it as they did. I mean, they they had incredible stories. They live incredible lives where they don't have friends to share the gospel with or even talk about Jesus with. Uh, Some countries don't allow it, right? And and, uh, some of the older kids, they will be rotating back to go to university. Well, to them, this is the foreign country, and they're, they're not set up for that. So... We, I think speaking for a lot of the team members, we came away with this love for we're going to find something to do to help these kids out. Um, the other thing we came away with is um, there's another country in our crosshairs that mm-hmm. I think we're going to go after next year. Okay. All so right. uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. <laughs> with, with bated breath. All right. So, Jacqueline, what, what did God do in your life in that whole experience of you going to serve? So for several months, God has really been working with me about surrendering. This is a really great way to do that, to go to West (laughs) Africa, because you have to surrender a lot of different things. I personally had to surrender my pretty big fear of flying. I had to go in a lot of different planes to get there. And once I got there, I was there. My family, my work, my comforts, all of that was here. And I was several plane rides away. Couldn't do anything about it. I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't have a watch on. I didn't look at a phone for about a week. It was actually kind of cool. But I had an opportunity to just do what I need to do every day, which is just say, all right, God, they're yours. I am blessed to get to play a part in, you know, being a wife, being a mother, being a worker. I am blessed to get to be a part of that. But ultimately, I'm not in charge. He is. And it gave me the opportunity to just kind of lay that in his hands and say, okay, there you go. And because of that, when I came home, I hold things a little bit looser. Doesn't mean I love him any less. It just means I, I trust him. I trust him to take care of them. And I also came back a little bit more so with the attitude of whatever you want me to do, wherever, whenever, I'm ready. So it kind of is a good antidote for the God complex that we uh, struggle with here. Absolutely. Very, very good. Very good. It's freeing, too. Mm-hmm. Would, you re- would you surrender the universe back to God? Yeah. It's, it's kind of freeing. Easier. It takes a Much lot of easier. weight off your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Lizzie, what about you? What did God do in your life? Something that in reflecting on the experience and the journey to India and then even after, um, that is so clearly threaded and woven throughout was obedience. And in my w- true walk of faith with the Lord, I've, I've really only truly been been walking with him for about three years, and I couldn't look back and say I did anything big for him, any big steps of obedience. And so um, the first victory in obedience for me was just saying yes. And I am pretty much the epitome of fear and worry. Those are the (laughs) sins that kind of consume me a lot. And so as I was deciding, fear and worry kept 
surfacing in my thought process, but also very clearly, which this was totally the Lord. He was saying the heartbeat, your heartbeat should be loving God and loving others, loving me and loving others. This shouldn't be that hard for you to obey me. And so he didn't ride it in the sky in fireworks, but I said yes and went. Um, and that was absolutely my first victory in obedience. Um, and there were several others to follow. Um, my family, when I told them I was going to India, they cast a lot of fear and worry back on me. And I'm so used to leaning so heavily on my family. And God said, no, you have to, it's all about me. Lean not on your family, but on me alone. And so in doing that and obeying again in that, he gave me so much confidence um, in my decision to go. And when we're meeting as a team before going, um, my team was had been on several, several trips before. And they knew the word. You could tell it was so written on their heart. And I started developing a lot of insecurity and lack of confidence in my knowledge of sharing, especially with people who have never heard of him before. Um, But again, the Lord just said, keep going and be obedient to me. And um, if I hadn't have, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to share um, Jesus' name with people who had never even heard his name before. And he totally spoke through me. It wasn't even me. Um, And so seeing those blessings come out of obedience, one that I want to share really quickly because it's all the credit to the Lord. It's such a blessing. Um, and I believe it does stem from obedience was when I was there, there was this little Indian lady and she walked so, so closely with the Lord. And, um, I was able to encourage her and pray with her. And in turn, she wanted to pray for me. Um, she didn't even know my name at this point, but she asked if she could pray for my womb. And so she laid her hands on my stomach and she started praying in Hindi, um, for me to have a baby and that it would be a baby boy. But what this lady didn't know was that, um, I just had a miscarriage before I left to come to India. And so, um, I could just feel the whole time in her prayer that the Lord was speaking through her and blessing me. And a couple weeks after returning, I found out I was expecting. And, um, a few weeks ago found out it indeed was a little baby boy. So, um, the Lord just, yeah, thank you. The Lord really, um, softened my heart to understanding obedience and what that really means. So great. Thank you all so much for sharing. Give me another round of applause. A lot of boldness to step up here. Lindsay's a teacher, uh, uh, Jacqueline works in a nonprofit in, in, in the area, and then Jim works in uh, Teradata uh, with uh, with computers and all that. These are not paid pastoral missionaries. They're just people who are, like Lindsay said, being obedient and following God on the mission that he's he's called them to. That's pretty exciting, and I wanted you to be able to hear that uh, today. You know, um, if, if you have your Bibles, be finding the, the Gospel of, of John. We'll be there in, in just a moment. And... Uh, we are in this study uh, going through, and this this does tie to the message, and I wanted them to share today because it does tie so well to the message, in that when you look at Christ and Him on the cross, as we have been talking about now for a number of weeks, Jesus didn't end there by oops. He didn't get there by accident. He didn't make a few wrong political statements and then land himself on a cross. It was that mission of his life. It was where he was going from the beginning. And we can't get away from from that beautiful reality. And understanding what your mission is in life, so ask yourself that question, what is my mission in life? Understanding what your mission is is important. Because it will help you then understand when you have completed your mission. 
Can you put on the end of your life, as Paul put at the end of his life, uh, I've walked the good, uh, I've run the good, excuse me, I've run the good race, I've finished the course, I, I have finished, uh, I've done what God's called me to do. I totally butchered that verse, but you know what I'm going with it. But uh, uh, that's when you come off the top of your head and it doesn't come out of your notes. Uh, so anyway, you know what your mission is and you also know when it's done. It's a very important thing. And Jesus was absolutely on mission and knew when his mission was complete. In fact, when you think about uh, some photos in life and talking about mission, there's certain photos that are iconic photos of presidents. And you got those in the history, Nixon, and you got JFK and his passing and his boy saluting him as he goes by. You got LBJ swear, uh, sworn in on Air Force One on the way back from Dallas to to, to D.C. You've got those iconic photos, but one of those iconic photos of Bush is in the background when it says mission accomplished. And that was on that uh, USS Alabama, or excuse me, Abraham Lincoln. And it was, and it was on a speech on May 1st in 2003, long before the mission of Afghanistan and Iraq was completed. Now that is a statement that was made of that ship and Bush was on that ship as that ship was finishing its mission, but it got tagged in the media that Bush was espousing that his mission was accomplished, American mission was accomplished, and you and I both know the war was far from over. So I I use that as an example, not to dog Bush, but when is your mission accomplished? When, what is your mission? Do you know what it is? Jesus had a very clear-cut mission statement. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, For the Son of Man uh, came to seek and to save those who were lost. Very, very clear mission of what he was about. And it, 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 when you look also in Luke, you find that uh, that mission was going to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So he sets his face towards Jerusalem. This was a turning point. He had done a lot of his ministry, a lot of his ministry out in uh, in Galilee, but at this point, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He starts aiming towards Jerusalem, starts going towards Jerusalem to do his ministry there. Even whenever he was growing up, though, early, early on, when he was a teenager, most likely, when his parents we came up missing. They've been in Jerusalem. They go back to Nazareth and they come up and Jesus is nowhere to be found. For two, three days they're looking for Jesus. They find him in the temple teaching. And what does he say to them? He said, why are you seeking for me? I Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? Even as a teenager, he knew what his mission was. When he was on mission, he knew when his mission was complete. And that's where we're going to be today in John 19, uh, verse uh, 28 to 30. But last week and the week before while I was out, uh, I gave a very daunting task to Brett Ferguson and Caleb Gabrelli to lead through probably, I think, the darkest statements of Christ on the cross. Seven statements that Christ made on the cross. I think the darkest statements were the ones I gave those guys. So kudos to them. The first statement that, that Jesus made there, uh, that, that, that Brett shared, was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness comes on the earth. It is a dark moment in Jerusalem. Darkness comes upon, but not only that, it's that time when God turns His back. And as, as I can believe and, uh, and assert, that I believe it's at that point that all the world's sins of all of mankind, of all of time, 
are downloaded onto the shoulders and then on the soul of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as it's being downloaded, you just think about, about the data, if you use a, a computer term, that just all the sins of all of time, of all of man, going up on the shoulders, and the Father turns His back on His Son. Dark moment. A horrible moment. Terrific moment. Uh, the next one is whenever Jesus says, I thirst. In one word, in one sentence, He says, I thirst. Just speaking of the humanity of Christ. That it was, it was a man who was God hanging on that cross. And he felt everything. He suffered at every moment, at every point, and every turn, even to the point of dehydration. Dying of dehydration while hanging on the cross. It was a dark, dark moment. We're going to turn the page today. And we're going to kind of go, though Jesus' life, you can see it, leaving his body, because his words, his, his word that he speaks today is really just a word, but it's a full sentence in that one word. And the word that we'll share next week is just one statement. It's all his lungs could hold the air for. It's all that he could spit out, but yet they're so powerful. And at the same time, they're triumphant. They're statements that are statements of completion and, and finality. And so if you have your Bibles, we're looking at John. Chapter 19, beginning verse 28. Again, passage that, uh, that Caleb shared last week. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. The key word here that I want to focus in on is the word finished. Said to fulfill, said, uh, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch. Hang on to that phrase, hyssop branch. Held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said in one statement, one word, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In this statement he makes, it is finished. What is the it? What was it, what was the subject of that verb? What was it that was finished? And we talked about it being finished, and these are the last words of Jesus. What is it that is being completed, that is final, that's done, that He's lived His whole life, that He's given His whole life, that He's given His last breath to finish? And I want us to see these two finishing elements that he speaks of, the two it's, if you will, that we cannot miss, that I think brings us closer to the Savior. It brings us hopefully more in love with our Savior. Now, this is not a message, so I'm just going to wipe this clean. This is not a message that you're going to learn to walk out of here and learn how to live your it, whatever your it is. All right, we're not talking about your it today. We're talking about the Savior of the world. And what the Savior of the world could mean to your life, could changing your subject, your it of your life, that could put a new direction and a new course for your life. Yes, if you internalize and you make this Savior, Jesus Christ, a true figure in your life, a, a, a true person as He is. So I want to talk about the it's in Christ's mission. One was the prophecies were completed. Now, when you look at this statement, don't miss the first phrase that we read. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. 
Everything was now finished. And then there's a little parenthetical statement that, it, that, that John throws in there to fulfill the Scriptures. See, Jesus didn't appear on the earth by accident. He was long awaited. Hundreds of years, thousands of years, He was awaited. He was longing for Him. They were anticipating that a Savior would come. And we cannot skip over this very quickly because this is very powerful in understanding Jesus, who He is. All the Scripture was fulfilled about Him. This book that I hold in my hand doesn't just open up to chapter chapter 19 just on its own. There's a whole back history of elements that came into play. There's a whole history of prophecies. There's a whole history of stories. There's a whole leading into, leading up to the Savior named Jesus Christ. Don't miss Him. And so when you go all the way back to Genesis, you find that there are many prophecies about Christ. In fact, there's just a sampling of the prophecies. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after the fall of man, and God is pronouncing His judgment on mankind. And He says, listen, Satan will be defeated. What are we reading in this passage? We're reading Satan being defeated by the final blow of Christ's life. You go right on and you read how the hyssop branch that covered, that, that they used to cover blood around the door faces of the, of the Hebrews' homes whenever the death angel came through Egypt. You remember the story in Exodus 12? That hyssop branch that had blood on it that covered the door faces was only a preliminary prophetic statement to the coming hyssop branch that would feed our suffering, bleeding Savior. You notice the connection? I told you to pay attention to that hyssop branch. It's going to come into play again. It was a part of the prophecy of Old Testament a long time back. You can go all the way through. You can find that hundreds of years before he was born in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. He was named in Isaiah 49 verse 1 before he was ever born. And you can find that lived out to be true. You can go to Isaiah 53, and I'm encouraging everybody life group to do that this week. Read Isaiah 53 with eyes for Christ. Because you're going to find a Savior who was suffered, beaten, bruised for us. A simple man, a, an uncomely man in some respects, but yet hit by His stripes we are healed. And you'll find that again and again, 48 prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. At least 48, but I'm just going to say conservative, 48. Now, let's just hang on that for a moment. Because I know we have a different mix in this room every week. Some of y'all are here for the first time. Some of y'all are here because somebody brought you here. Somebody here because you have a drug problem. You were drugged to church and, and you're just here. Um, some of you are here and you're kind of arm's length from me and anything I might say on the stage because you're still assessing all of this. You're still trying to figure out, is this really truth about Jesus? I, I'll take Jesus as a historical figure. Or maybe you don't even accept Jesus as a historical figure. But I just want, I want, I want you to camp on the question, can I really believe that Jesus is God? Can I really bank on it that, that Jesus isn't just another Muhammad? He isn't just another Joseph Smith. He isn't just another, another Gandhi. He isn't just another good example of Buddha out there. He is truly God. 
When you take this as a historical book and accept it only as that, I'll, I'll go with you for a while here. But let's just say this is a historical book and you look at the 48 different prophecies that were prophesying a coming Messiah. What's the chance? What's the mathematical chance that one person in time might fulfill these prophecies? Let's not even look at all 48 of them. Let's just take eight of them. What's the chance that one person could fulfill eight of these prophetic statements that were foretold of Christ? People smarter than I did the math on that because I can't do math. They said the probability of one person lining up with eight different prophecies and then fulfilling all of them, one person doing that, is one chance in 100 million billion. Now, for you and I who, or maybe just me, who can't imagine 100 million billion, what does that look like? So he put a picture to it. This is what he said. He calculated that if you took this number, 100 million billion, and you took silver dollars... And you stack them two feet high throughout the entire state of Texas. The great state of Texas. Yeah, I knew there were some Texans in the room. And they were two feet deep throughout the entire state of Texas. And if you mark just one of those, one of those silver dollars, and then you put a man with a blindfold on, and you had him walk the entire state of Texas... And at one point, he could bend down whenever he so chose and pick up one silver dollar. What would be the chances of him getting that one silver dollar? It would be the chance in one in 100 million billion. That's how unlikely that any one person could fulfill just eight of those prophecies. Just eight. But now let's talk about Jesus in all 48 of them, Okay. What's the chance that Jesus would be able to fulfill all 48 of them, cross them off, that yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God? A mathematician, Peter Stoner, put it like this. The chances in one person fulfilling one in 48, or, one, or all 48 of them, is one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. Is one chance. In one person fulfilling all 48. Listen, if you're here today and you're one of those who's a skeptic, who's one of those who has to have mathematical proof that Jesus is God and all that kind of stuff, all I can say to you is I got 48 reasons why. And they're all in an old book that's trusted by many people to be a historical book at least. I see it as more than that. But history shows us that Jesus Christ is unique, is the God that we have been waiting for. Here's a life principle for you. The facts validate. The facts validate it. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But here's the big issue. But your faith must embrace Him as your Messiah. See, I can stand up here as a mathematician. I get the smartest brains in the world to stand up here and tell you and prove to you and argue with anybody who's a skeptic about whether or not Jesus is God and Jesus is real and all that kind of stuff. And he could beat every argument down. But the reality at the end of the day is will you in your own heart and life embrace him in faith as your Savior? 
We just got back from Zambia and South Africa as a family, and we were able to revisit some of the places that we lived and worked and connected with some of the people that we've been away from for 14 years. Um, and just had a, an, an amazing time. We mixed a little bit of work and a little bit of vacation in there. On Monday, two weeks ago, uh, we t- took a vacation day in, in the midst of that. And we uh, we went and saw a place that was just 10 minutes from where we used to live, uh, the Victoria Falls. If you Google it, look it up. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And we went to see it. And when you see the Victoria Falls, you actually experience the Victoria Falls this time of year because the falls are so full. So the best way to see the falls is actually to go up in a micro light. So on Monday morning, went up early morning in a micro light and just flew out in, in the air. I'm in the back and Heiko is in the front and he's flying me over the falls. Now in the midst of this 15 minute flight over the falls, he begins to tell me his story. An amazing story. He grew up in Germany, grew up as an atheist, was tr- lived as an atheist, grew, everything was atheism in his, in his world. He leaves home desperate and hungry for meaning in life. He finds himself, and he's telling me all this 6,000 feet above the falls, and as we're, we're flying up there, and he's, we had the biggest worship experience uh, of the entire trip as he's telling me his story. He said, when I left Germany, I did not realize I was not only running from God, but I was also running into God. He said, I ran straight into God's arms, and I didn't even realize it. He said, I ran to Zaire a nation that is full and wrecked with civil war ever since I've ever been studying the geography and the political systems of, of Africa. And, it, and he said, we moved, I moved to Zaire as a single man, and I was living my free lifestyle, and everything was crumbling in Zaire. Everything was falling in in Zaire. There was corruption. There was thief. There was rape. There was murder. There was pestilence. There were so many things going wrong in Zaire. And right next to me lived two missionaries who just continued to love the people, continued to embrace the people, continued to love on me. He said, and I began to see something that I did not fully understand. How could anybody love in a, in a nation full of hate? How could anybody have faith in a nation full of fear? How could anybody exist like this in this environment? So he asked them. So he was told about Jesus Christ. He became a believer in Jesus Christ. And all I can say is if you go to Victoria Falls today, you fly with Potoka Skies, you'll probably see and fly with Hector. And he will tell you his story. And he is full of joy and faith today. I say all that because I wanted you to hear. The reality is, is you might be running from God. At the same time, you might be here today literally running into God. Not because you've met me, because you heard my message, but because right now in your heart of hearts, you've heard the facts, you've wrestled with the question so long, and it's now time for you to embrace Him in faith. Where are you at? The first thing you must see when you look at this passage, that He, that was the it that was finished, it, He finished it, was the prophecies were complete. Number two, the redemption is complete. When you go on and you look at the, the phrase that He mentions here, he mentions it again. He says, telestai, or it is finished. He uses a Greek word here, one Greek word in the first one. He said, I thirst, one Greek word in the second one, because he can't even breathe. He can hardly speak. And so he's just gasping for air as he's drowning in his own blood. He's drowning in, his, in this. At the same time, he's longing for air. He says one word, and in this one word, he says a, a statement that covers it all. It's finished. What is finished? 
His suffering is finished. His body is about to die. It's about to breathe His last breath. The incarnation is finished. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived on this earth. He walked on this earth. He taught on this earth. He, he, he prophesied on this earth. He fulfilled prophecy on this earth. He healed on this earth and He redeemed on this earth. He did everything on this earth. But it is coming to a finish. He will come again. And when He comes again, those who are with Him will go with to be with Him. Sin is finished. When you look at Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquities of us all. Our sin is finished. He take away our sins in 1 John 3, 5. For freedom in Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm. Therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back into sin when Christ has set us free from sin. Satan's domination has been finished. There's a lot that has been finished. That through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. His death conquers the one who has the power of death. Death is not not right. Death is not a part of God's design. And God defeats Him. Also, our atonement is finished. He paid our sin debt. Christ came to save sinners, 1 Timothy To redeem those under the law, Galatians 4. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom, as a payment for many, Mark 10.45. You see that when Christ came and He died, what was finished was our sin payment, the debt that we owe, telestai, it was paid in full. None of us like paying bills. I got an appointment... I have an appointment at 7.30 this coming Friday morning, April the 11th. I'm not looking forward to that appointment. It comes every year. It's with my accountant. Now, that just by that alone, you should deduce that I'm expecting that I'm going to have to pay. Because everyone who files early are the ones who get the checks, all right? I'm waiting till April the 11th so I can pay on April the 15th. That's just the reality of this world. It's the reality of this life. It's just the way it works. You, know, you just have to pay, you have to pay Uncle Sam. And it's not going to be fun, and I don't know what it's going to be, and I'm just, I'm just looking for anything that I can deduct and anything that I can find out there to make sure that's in that file when I go see him. Because I don't want to have to pay, and you don't want to have to pay, but it's the reality of life. Archaeologists have found, archaeologists are those who study history through dirt. They study and they find these sites and they dig them up and they found this. They found these pieces of papyrus. They go back to the first century. I assume they go back to the, the first century in the time of Christ and that, that whole era. They found them and they've unearthed them and they, they have been able to identify some of them as tax documents, all right? So taxes is as old as uh, at least Jesus' time, and we know that. Um, they found these documents. They've also found inscribed, written across a receipt of these documents is this one word, this one Greek word, telestai, paid in full, taken care of, finished, done. You know, all of us live a life with an in-debt. We're in debt. 
because we're not perfect and we don't live up to the standard of God's perfection. And we got a real problem because we have a bill that we can't pay. Jesus Christ went to a cross and He paid a bill that He did not owe. He suffered. He gave what we could not give because we don't have it to give. Telestai. Finished, paid, taken care of, nothing yet, nothing else is owed. When we come to this time of the year, we don't come flippantly. We come with a rejoicing attitude of what Christ has done for us on that cross. I was eight years old. And there's not a lot that an eight-year-old really understands about the deep theologies and the prophecies of of Scripture. I'll promise you that. At least this eight-year-old didn't. But we were attending a little country church over in southeast Rogers growing up in this area. And I can remember being in that little country church and Johnny Lawson, the pastor, standing up and in preaching his sermon. I don't remember what the sermon was or anything like that, but I can remember this at eight years old, that I needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. I needed something that that Jesus that he was talking about, I needed that. And I wasn't a bad kid. Oh, I mean, when you think about it, I wasn't dealing drugs out of the sandbox, but I was an ornery ornery fart. That's about all I can say. (laughs) Can you say fart in church? I was that at least. I was trying to clean it up as best I could. Um, you know, so I was that, but I didn't realize much and I couldn't an- answer any theological test, but I knew this. I knew I needed Jesus. And I needed Him to make a difference in my life. I needed Him to deal with a sin problem that I had even at eight years old. And I can remember going home we lived on 717 North 5th Street in Rogers. House is still standing there. And I can remember sitting at the, at the lunch table with my mother. And I can remember my mother leading me in a prayer. That said something like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've done a lot of things wrong in my little life. And I need you to take away my sin. Something along those lines. My mother at a living room table and I prayed. And I can tell you right now, at the ripe age of 45, looking back to when I was eight, that is still the day that Jesus Christ made an amazing difference in my life. Started a process. It hasn't been a straight line since then. It hasn't been all up and to the right. But I can tell you this. There was a day, and it was when I was eight, that I gave my life to following Jesus. And it's made a difference ever since. My question to you is the finished work of Jesus that He did on a cross. Have you ever accepted that? Have you ever accepted Him? I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to give yourself that opportunity right now to say yes to Jesus. In your own prayer, right where you say, you can say, Jesus... I want what what Mike speaks of. I want a relationship with you. I realize I need you. I realize I'm incomplete without you. You just put your own words in there and tell him, Jesus, I want to follow you. 
I want the finished work of Jesus, that telestai, to be written across my sin bed. And I want to be made whole. You just put your own ending on that story. Father God, you hear, you hear our prayers. You know our hearts. We can't hide behind anybody in the seat in front of us. We can't, we can't dodge it any longer. Lord, the message is here. The walls are, we're inside these walls. We're hearing this message online. We're, we're whatever it is that we're hearing this message that, Lord, it is finished. You did your work. And Lord, it's, it's now, it, the moves on us. And you tell us in John 1.12 that if we receive you, we'll become your children. So, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that has not yet received you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today that, Lord, you will prompt their heart to follow you all the days of their life. I pray this in the beautiful and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, that's number one. That's the number one thing that you've got to take out of here today. That if Jesus is not a part of your life, all the rest is just religious baggage. What do you do from here? Tell someone. I want to know about it. All right? Let me be your pastor. Let me be your friend. I want to know about it. I want to know how to pray for you. There's a little card in the seat pocket in front of you. Take it out right now. Put your name on it. Tell me what you did. Put it on the back and just drop it in the offering basket a little bit later on. But here's another, another thing you need to do. You need to tell the world about it. This is something that should be a life-changing element that you're going to broadcast it as much as you can. And Jesus, in his forming of the church, established a way for that, and it's called baptism. Next Sunday, we're going to observe baptism. We've already got 17 people, or excuse me, 19 people signed up. Most of them are going to be in this service. We actually need more people in the other service. But if you're, if you're able to be a part and you say, hey, I've given my life to following Christ, I'm ready to declare it now. You can, again, fill out that form, go online, whatever. And we want to make a space for you. We want to be a part of that. We want to celebrate. Let you tell your story uh, about that. There's one more thing. I'm not trying to give you a list of things you're going to forget. But I just want to get you on the right path, going in the right direction. The third thing is you need to have community around you. We're going to be doing something starting on Easter Sunday. We're going to be starting a question series called, What on Earth Am I Here For? And you need to be part of a small group and you need to get connected. And we're going to have groups popping up everywhere for six weeks. If that's all it is for six weeks, then that's great. We'll take it for six weeks. And you connect with a few people. I'm going to be meeting with a group of guys at five, excuse me, at six o'clock on Wednesday mornings. So if you're a, a single guy, a guy that's not in a group out there, you want to, you want to be a part of a group, you come see me. I'll be hanging out in the foyer. This is your time. Let's celebrate Christ. Let's start at the cross. And let's let it end in our life of what He wants to do in us. Let's stand together and sing right now.